Okay, okay, okay. I think that there is a great atmosphere in this place today, so let's get you back to your seats. We say good morning to everybody. It's great to have everybody who is online and everybody who is here listening to your Thanksgiving chatter. Uh, good morning. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here on this team, and uh, just a couple of uh, extra faces are actually in our crowd today. We've got some of our Bible college students home. Wave at me, Bible college students. Good to have you home. This is a good thing. We got Pastor Trevor and Jenny Kempner from Nanaimo visiting with us today, so man, it's just good to have some faces. I, I got to tell you, uh, there is one moment today that I am so excited for. There is one place that I need to be this afternoon, and it is going to be sitting around my table with my family, with my plate of turkey, and four bowls of gravy. I am so excited. One place, one moment, and I am, you're, you're excited. Wow, like, wow, I didn't know what was happening there. It startled me for a second. Way to interrupt me. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. Now, I say all that to say this, though. What is the one moment or what is the one place that you would never want to be in? For me, it'd be a house full of cats. Just wouldn't want to be there. But, uh, but listen, what is the one moment or what's the one place that you... You actually just, you'd never want to be in. And then you ask yourself the question, well, why? Like, why do I do that? I think actually for some of us, we're, to be honest with each other, it's because it's uncomfortable of a place to be. It's maybe unfamiliar. It maybe provides an, an instability to our lives. You know, when we're in those moments or those places that we don't want to be in, it kicks us when we're down. It kind of feels like life is just not happening. And it's very similar, actually, to um, a new series that we're going to jump into today called Thriving in Babylon. Somebody say Thriving in Babylon. Thriving. Where our, our, our people, our, our characters who we're going to study, we're going to, over these next six weeks, we're going to take a look at Daniel and his friends who were kind of in one of those places and moments that they didn't want to be in. So I'd like to read it for us today and kind of give us an idea of where we're going to spend our time. And uh, if you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Three short verses, but jam-packed with unbelievable truth for us today. And if you don't have your Bibles today, the words will be on the screen for you as well. Let's read it. It says, During the, the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, this is Israel's leader, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, though, came to Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah, and he permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Somebody say, uh-oh, because that's not good. But Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, and he placed them in his own treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of, of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Do you think that these young men wanted to be in Babylon? What is the one moment, what is the one place that you would not want to be caught in? I think we kind of are experiencing one of those spaces today. 
So as we've read of the word of the Lord together, will you pray with me? Father, I give you thanks for this day, Thanksgiving. There's lots to be thankful for. Even when we are found in these moments of uncomfortable, unfamiliar, unstable moments that in places where I, I don't want to be caught in, even there, you can teach us this, this posture of gratefulness. And I ask today that as we've read your word that you will teach us, show us who you are in this, I pray, to the glory of God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son. We pray all these things, and everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen. amen. So the context of what we're looking at here over this new series, Thriving in Babylon, is this. God's people, who are known as the nation of Israel, have been taken to Babylon as exiles. Now, Daniel and his friends, who we're going to study and take a look at, they're just the first wave of this exiling happening. Babylon is where we really need to put our attention to for a few moments today because Babylon is the central part of what we're going to be talking about. Babylon was a world power. It was, in fact, the most famous city in ancient Mesopotamia. It had a city full of gods. You thought North America was bad. Babylonia was even worse. They had so many gods with so many uh, names that you could call on anything you wanted, and you would have that in a type of god. This city was known for its impressive walls and buildings. It was the great seat of learning and culture. It was a government powerhouse with political prowess. And I got to tell you, this was one military group that you did not want to deal with. They were nasty, and they would let you know it. But this Babylon that we're talking about today is known as modern-day Iraq, all right? But in the Bible, because of these moments that we read about Babylon, Babylon becomes this archetype for all of the other nations of our world at that present time in the Bible, as well as every nation or a generation, century since. But Babylon serves as an archetype of a nation or a city who have ejected God from the middle. We have said, God, I don't want you. I don't need you. You've become a Babylon. This Babylon is actually referred to in the Bible as the great prostitute. How's that for a cool title? Like this Babylon is something significant and we want to pay attention to that. So what do you do when you are dropped into an unwanted place? What do you do when you're in a brand new location with many differences? How do you hold fast to your values and to your customs? Now, a couple of weeks ago, we, we admitted from the stage that our modern-day Babylon, right now where we live, it has beat us up. Culture has been hard. Babylon has beat us up. And many of us would make this admission today, I'm just trying to survive in this nonsense, yes? And I think all of us there, but what if, what if you didn't have to just survive in Babylon, but that you could thrive in Babylon? Would you take it? Three people? You would take that? Who would take it? to be able to thrive in Babylon. To thrive in Babylon, as nasty as it is, we want to, over these next number of weeks, observe Daniel and his friends. Because, catch this, they were taken as prisoners of war to another nation. And I'm here to tell you that they were able to thrive in Babylon, not just survive it. And so I think that they're gonna help us explore what God wants to do with us. The first thing I want to share with us out of these first three verses today is puppet kings. Now, it's interesting, right? Because I just read to all of us uh, different uh, you know, military regimes in just three simple verses. And I want us to see that I, I kind of took the traditional standpoint of reading this history to you through, through a Judeo-Christian 
point of view, which is good. You're in a church, so I hope that we, we would do that. But I'm telling you, if you were to go to the annals of um, Egyptian culture and you were to go to the annals of Babylonian culture, their historians have recorded this exact thing that I just read to you from the Bible. So again, for those of us that maybe struggle with, is the Bible real, legit, or true? We've got cross-references for the history that we're about to read here. Pretty fantastic, eh? That we even get to read it through the lens of the Word of God. Now, Israel was under an Egyptian ruler. This is really important to follow today. Pharaoh Necho, who you will be able to read a little bit more about in 2 Kings chapter 23 and 24, uh, Pharaoh Necho uh, swept into Israel, and there is where he actually took this King Jehoiakim, and he placed him there as a puppet king for himself. It was so that the tributes could still be brought back to Egypt, but then you have that happening over here. You've got Israel and Egypt doing their thing, but over here, then there's Babylon, and Babylon is this empire that is on its way. It has just defeated their cousins to the north of them, the Assyrian Empire, who was the world-dominating power at that time. Babylon was taking its reins right now. They wanted to be the people, and they were after world domination. And so what King Nebuchadnezzar does in Babylon, he looks at Israel, and he's like, I'm going to go get you. And what he does that for is because on the, on the side of the Mediterranean Sea, the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, there were trade routes that were leading into the western part of the world. And King Nebuchadnezzar knew that I needed that trade commodity. I needed those routes. So he goes in, and he kind of silences this Egyptian king. He's like, I'm the guy in charge now. You'll be quiet, to which we see that that is true. He goes in and he captures Israel. And he takes that King Jehoiakim and he says to him, this is what you're going to do. You're going to pay tributes to my kingdom. I'll let you stay here right where you are. And King Jehoiakim, for a, a short period of time, three years, says yes. Okay, we'll do it. Then at the end of three years, I don't know what happened to King Jehoiakim's head, but he's like, I don't care about you anymore, King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar's like, all right, let's go to war. And he goes and he sweeps into Israel and he takes the Israelites into exile. Meanwhile, shutting up Egypt. King Nebuchadnezzar was all business, and he wanted to make sure that he was going to be in charge. Question for you. Which one of those three leaders would you like to follow? If you could choose Pharaoh Necho, King Jehoiakim, or King Nebuchadnezzar, who would you follow? Who would you be your leader? Because I actually think that we feel this tension today, right now where we live in Canada, when it comes to our own leaders. Have you noticed that? And we've got this tension that is around us. I say all of that and give us this brief context of history to say this. All of those leaders that we have just read about, including our Canadian leaders, they are nothing more than puppet kings under the authority of God. I'm here to remind us today that if you want to thrive in Babylon, not just survive in Babylon, to thrive in Babylon, we need to know this. There is only one king. His name is Jesus, and he is in charge, and he is in control. These first three verses really set the stage to say one thing to us. This is about God's sovereignty. He is the one who is in charge. Even when you think this is going the wrong way, or you don't think that this makes a whole lot of sense, God is still saying, I'm in charge, and I'm going to be the one to see you through. question is, do you believe? Do you really believe that God is in charge? Even a premier Trudeau, prime minister Trudeau, do you believe? So not only was God developing a story for Israel and Daniel, I mean, he's working this story down here in Egypt, and he's over here working this story in Babylon, and you're thinking God has got all these pieces moving around to make a point, and he's trying to say something. And some might say at this stage that things are just quite, quite not as they seem. 
Have you ever heard this statement before? Things are not as they seem, which is the second point today. I want us to see that God loves Israel. Israel is his people. In fact, the Bible is a story about marriage in that God and his people, Israel, are in a marriage covenant together, except we've got one problem. There is a one-sided adulterer on the scene, and it's Israel. So it says in our text today that God gives permission for this ruthless leader, King Nebuchadnezzar, to come in and take Israel, King Jehoiakim, back into his land. God gave permission for all of that to happen. And I'm thinking, how can a loving God do this to his people? Have you ever asked that question of God? How could you do that? (laughs) And I think we have an identification moment here with these words. Daniel and his friends, let's think about them for a quick second. Daniel and his friends in Israel, they loved Yahweh. They loved God. They served him. They dedicated their lives to him. And then this king, this barbarian comes in and he takes them, him and his friends, back to this nation. And I got to think like Daniel and his friends are thinking, because of all those other yahoos in Israel, I'm now in exile. I was serving God and now I'm here. Have you felt that same tension? I'm serving God, but here's Canada. And this is what we're experiencing Daniel and his friends are right there, but it all shows us this, is that what we witness in this scene is that the people have ejected God from the middle. That's why Israel is there. God has permitted them to be there because they have ejected God from the middle, which I think is also Canada. I do. I think we as a nation are on our very slippery slope of ejecting God from the middle. You see, we know this about God. He is gracious towards us, yet he will allow the consequences of our decisions to happen. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. And I'm wondering today with us folks, have we allowed this to happen in our nation? Are we reaping what we have sown for a long time? I think so. And it's interesting that God will use an enemy king to come in, King Nebuchadnezzar. He will allow him to come and get his people's attention. And I'm wondering today, is God trying to get our attention again as a nation? Is he trying to say, why have you ejected me from the middle? But I'll let you do what you got to do. But guess what? The consequences will follow. Now, in the context of this uh, conversation today, I want to speak to the generations in the room. And I've got two generations that I want to talk to, old and young, okay? Old and young generations, you can decide for yourself which one you want to belong in. I don't care. But I am going to make a point with this. Number one, um, let me speak to the older generation. I think the older generation today, we look at Babylon and we look at Canada and we're like, I want no part of that whatsoever. It's kind of like you're like, God, take me back to Jerusalem, Get me out of this place. And we feel that moment, right, in our lives. Take me back to the good old days where it was good and it was safe and all this nonsense that's happening over here. Take me back. That's the older generation. But God's love and his judgment are intricately connected. And I want us to see today that in this point of things are not as it seems, what God is doing is he's moving many pieces around And he's trying to lead people towards repentance. Ultimately, that's his goal. He wants his children to come back home to who he is. 
So God is moving all of these pieces. He was moving something over here in Egypt. He was doing that over here with Israel and then over here in Babylon. He's moving all of these pieces. And we're, we know this about God, is that God has a beautiful way of working things out to those who love him. I'm here to tell you today that no matter what moment or what place you may be in, things are not as they seem. Because God is doing something in your life. And although you can't see it, although you don't feel it, things are not as it seems. Because God will work to the good for those that love him. Amen? The third thing I want to pull out of this text is stolen goods. Have you ever had something valuable taken from you? Anything at all. I remember that as a kid um, that our home was robbed one day. It was my mom and I who made our way back to the home, our home, and we saw that the door was open in, in the basement. And we thought, okay, this is weird, but you suddenly know that when you walk in the door and there's stuff scattered everywhere that you didn't do. I couldn't blame it on my brother or my sister. Like someone had broken into our home. You go in and you begin to look at the pieces to see what was in fact taken. And it was there where actually um, my, a lot of my parents' jewelry was um, taken. Jewelry that not only had a monetary significance to it, but it also had a story value to it as well. Being passed down as an heirloom and you're robbed. And I remember the gutted feeling that I had as a kid even, let alone my mom and my dad and what they were having to walk through. But we have those moments, right, where it's like something has been taken and it stings and it hurts. And the reality was is it took several nights even to kind of get back to a rhythm of sleep because you're thinking somebody's going to come back and do it again. You just weren't safe. And so this idea of when you have something stolen from you is, is a big deal. And our story shows us that Babylon comes in, and although there was a permission by God to come, that some of the sacred objects is what it was called. Sacred objects are then taken back, and um, King Nebuchadnezzar places them in his own treasure house. And this is really important for us to understand today, because in a few weeks' time, we're going to come back to these sacred objects, because they resurface in another part of Daniel's story with his friends. But if I were to take that story of the sacred objects being stolen, I would like to take you then back a hundred years previous that moment, where another king in Israel's um, lineage, King Hezekiah, guess what King Hezekiah did? King Hezekiah saw the, Babylon, the Babylons over here, and he invited them over for some supper. He brought them over, they had a party, and guess what King Hezekiah did? He actually took them into the treasure house where all of these sacred objects were stored. A hundred years prior to this moment. I don't know if I can prove this to you or not, but I'm sure that a lot of the Babylonian leaders that came in that day, they went back home, and guess what they did? They were like, psst, guess what? Israel's got a lot of good things going on over there. In fact, you should have really saw their treasure house. It is jam-packed with good things that we want. Decade after decade after decade, they probably told their leaders until this one moment where they come in, King Nebuchadnezzar. Did King Nebuchadnezzar know where, where those things were and what was going on? I actually think he did. And what he does is he comes in, and at that moment, he steals this. When those sacred objects are taking from, taken from Israel, I want us to see that this has everything to do with their religious identity. In fact, it were these objects, and they were closely linked to a relationship with Yahweh. In fact, I would say that Babylon's gods were trying to come in and infiltrate the only God whose name is Yahweh. And I actually think today that this is a cultural issue. 
in Canada. I'm going to be abundantly clear, and I understand I, I, I may um, provide attention for you with what I'm about to say, but our culture would communicate to you today that there are many, 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 many ways to get to God. I'm here to tell you today that that is not true. Uh, there is only one way to God, and his name is Jesus. And if you want to send me email, I get it, but please understand, I didn't write this book. I'm just talking about it right now. But there is only one way to Jesus. And as Babylon tried to did to the Israel culture, I believe Babylon again today is trying to do that in this culture as well. But listen, let's be honest. Some things have been stolen in our day as well, right? I mean, if I were to recollect the things that have been stolen in my day, let me name a few of them for you. The Lord's Prayer. I used to say this in school all the time. It was fantastic. Gone. Uh, what about Bible reading? Like, you can't touch your Bible. If you do, you kind of mocked and ridiculed in it. We used to pray out loud for a lot of things, but a lot of these things are happening. And want to know another thing that's been stolen from us today? It's this thing called identity. And we have lost this in Canada. We're on a very slippery slope right now when it comes to identity. And listen to me, there is not your way, there's only God's way. And we cannot deviate away from that, but things have been stolen. We, we know that. But here's the point. Even though there's an enemy at play and he's going to steal things from you, Daniel and his friends show us that I don't have to survive just in that. I can even thrive in what is being presented to me right now. And what we see here in their story is that Daniel and his friends' faith was never taken from them. Yes, they may have been taken from their home and their traditions and their structures, but their faith was never taken from them. Some people cried about the fact that the government of Canada, how dare they through COVID take away our church gatherings? But they didn't take your faith away. And so we have to understand that if you want to thrive in Babylon, get back to your faith. Get back to knowing that God is sovereign. He is in control and he'll see us through. Okay, so back, back in the day, we, we, the Brownsville Revival, there was this old song, and it went a little bit something like, well, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. Come on, sing with me. I took back what he, the arm actions are fun, try, and I took back what he stole from me, and it goes on and on, and it goes, he's under my feet, he's under my feet, and then for five hours, you'd sing that line, he's under my feet, he's under my feet, but then it stops, and he goes, Satan is under my feet. Listen to me, it's time to go to the enemy's camp. It's time to take back the stolen goods because God wants us to be a people who stand res resilient in Babylon and go to the enemy's camp. Let's take it back because the devil is under your feet and God is in charge. I love this about stolen goods is that we can go and do this. Now I got to keep moving, but number four, I want us to see this is that you need to be prepared for Babylon. I need some oxygen first. Just getting ready for that turkey. All right. <laughs> Prepared for Babylon. These boys, Daniel and his friends, please see this. They are well-schooled. They didn't mess around with this in Israel. They took their young men and they trained them diligently in the ways of Yahweh. They wanted them to know. 
They had all of these amazing prophets around them who taught them what God was going to do, what he was saying. And so there is no mistaking in my mind for what Daniel and his friends know, that they knew when the prophets spoke, when they kept saying that, listen, Israel, if you eject God from the middle, guess what God's going to do? He's going to grant you your desire. And I'm guaranteeing you today that Daniel and his friends knew full well that they were going to exile. They knew it was coming because it had been communicated to them by God through the prophets. Let me tell you something about Babylon. Babylon is great. She is magnificent. In fact, this story shows us that she is going to take the best of the best, and she wants to convert you. But I'm here to encourage you and implore you, do not be lured by her adultery today. Do not give your life away to Babylon and the styles that she will bring to you. Let me speak to the younger generation, which is everybody in this room, right? <laughs> Let me speak to you, younger generation, for a moment. Because this is your position and your attitude with Babylon. You like Babylon. It's comfortable here. You could do whatever this world throws at you. You could do whatever the world gives. You love Babylon. You're in bed with Babylon. There are things, practices, rituals that you like. And please understand me that when I speak to a younger generation, I'm not just talking about teenagers and young adults because there are some of us as well, myself included, who have become comfortable in Babylon. But one thing that I see in this space today is that John 17, 15 says that you have to live in Babylon, but you do not have to do what it says to you. We get to live here, but we don't have to do what she asks. So if you are to not just survive in Babylon, but to thrive in Babylon, to live faithfully in exile, we must first know God's faithfulness. It is so essential to know his promises today. And I'm asking, so how do you prepare? And how you prepare for Babylon actually matters. My question to you today is what promises of God do you need to recall in your life? Are you preparing for what Canada is throwing at you? Yes, we don't like some of the cultural things that are happening, but are you preparing yourself right now and placing yourself back in the faithfulness of God and that his promises are yes and amen? And it is there where we prepare for Babylon that it takes us to my last point today, that there is purpose in Babylon. So let me ask you this question. You may think it's a trick question, but please know it is not. Where did Israel get its beginnings? Where did Israel come from? Well, Sean, it's on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. This is really easy. Mm -mm. Where did Israel come from? I'm going to actually show you today. So in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, you're going to see a word. And the word is Ur. Somebody say Ur. Let me tell you about Ur. Because it was here where God took a man. And his name was Abram. Perhaps you've heard of Abram because God changed his name to Abraham. Abram came from the land of Ur. Now, if you'll notice, what is north of Ur? Babylon. So from Babylonia, God decided to call a man, and he gave him this promise. Hey, Abe, 
I'm going to get you to go, and I'm going to build the world's peoples all around who you are. Well, I'm going to take you out of this land, and I'm going to take you up on this journey. Follow the red line, and you'll see the journey. And he lands over in Israel. I'm going to take you on a full journey. And it was here where Israel got its origin story. From Babylon. I find that intriguing today. It's interesting that in this moment of where we're starting our series today, that Israel now comes full circle back to where really they all started. Did Israel want to be there? What do you think? Did Israel want to be there in Babylon? Not at all. But things are not as they seem, yes? They are just not as they seem. Here's the beauty, though. God took them into exile, and guess what God did in Babylon? God revealed himself in Babylon to a people who already had all their gods. He took Daniel and his friends and he placed them at the highest levels of authority and leadership. We'll explore that more later. But in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, guess what Daniel did? He told King Neb about Yahweh. And in that influence and what Daniel began to do with his friends, God was placing his presence back into the spaces of Babylon, exactly where he called his people out. See, the question for Abraham, Daniel, and us is, is not which city we live in, but what city do you live for? It's a big deal. And what is God going to do through you? So I'm going to make this point. God loves Babylon. God loves Canada. God loves Victoria. You want to know what else God loves? He loves your neighbor. He loves that person you're sitting beside right now. Go ahead, tell him God loves you. It's so cool. Like, it's good. He loves you. He loves your workmates that you will see Tuesday morning because you get to relax tomorrow. He loves your schoolmates. God loves Babylon. And please hear me. God in his sovereignty will never waste moments. He has planted you right where you are to thrive in Babylon. Will you let him? John 10.10 10 reveals that we have an enemy, a lot like King Nebuchadnezzar, except it's the devil. And it says that God, this, this enemy is going to come and he's going to seek, kill, and destroy your life. Are you encouraged as you walk out today? Woo! Nah, but somebody say, but. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Jesus is not interested in just surviving in Babylon. He believes that you can thrive in Babylon. He wants us to see today that there are puppet kings around, but they're still under his sovereignty. Things are not as it seems. So if you're in that moment, space, or place today, and you're thinking, God, why? I'm telling you today, God works together to the good for those that love the Lord. The enemy has stolen a lot of things. But folks, it's time to go to the enemy's camp. Let's take back what he's stolen from us. But it happens, right? It only happens when we realize that our faith has not been stripped from us. It's the other stuff. We prepare for Babylon. Are you holding on to God's promises, his faithfulness for you? Prepare, be ready for Babylon because she's going to come. She's going to knock on your door. And I'm encouraging us all, quit being comfortable with Babylon and purpose. God loves Babylon. He really does. And guess what? He wants to use you 
like Daniel and his friends, to make his name great in Babylon today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this day. I, day of Thanksgiving. I'm just thankful for your word. God, thank you so much for examples like Daniel and his friend. They did not want to be taken to a different country to live. And yet here we stand in Canada. We haven't been asked to go anywhere, but we have a lot of things that have been going on. But you show me through Daniel and his friends that I can thrive in Babylon. So I ask that you will give us the audacity to stand for you when it don't make sense. I pray for those of us in this space today listening that if we've become comfortable and we're in bed with Babylon, help us to get out of that adulterous affair. Help us to surrender again, to not eject you from the middle, but to welcome you back to. And I pray for my friends today that you will make that exchange in us in this season of not just surviving, but thriving. And remind us today that you love this nation. You love its people. That includes me. And I pray that we would have an impact for you in there. So help us this week to begin this journey of knowing what it means to thrive in Babylon. And with all eyes closed and heads bowed, you're online or perhaps you're in the room today. Maybe you've never had this relationship with Jesus. I want you to know today Jesus loves you died on a cross for you so that you would have life, that you would also know what it means to thrive in his presence, to know who he is. But it comes to a choice, and the choice is yours, by saying, Jesus, I haven't placed you in the center, and I want to make that choice today to invite you into that space. And if that's you today, all you need to do is say, Jesus, save me. Enter into my life. Be a part of my journey, and I'll submit my life to you. And if that is you, whether you are in this room or online today, our encouragement is you pray that prayer, but will you also then text, after we're done today, text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113, where a pastor will be there, want to teach and challenge and take you along that journey. But it's the best decision you'll ever make. I really believe that for you. So Father, as we go into this day and into this week, help us to be a people who thrive in Babylon. You are with us. You are for us. And so I ask you that you would go with us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Now, church, I hope that you have a fantastic day with your turkey and gravy, too. And we hope that you'll be able to join us tomorrow morning for the turkey bowl. But go thrive in Babylon. He's positioned you for this space. We love you, and we'll see you next week.